Hey, podcast people. I'm excited you're with us as we continue in our series on prayer called Finding Your Prayer Language. This series, as you know, is all about the power of prayer. My name is Zach Daniel, and I'm the lead pastor of Antioch Community Church here in Dallas, Texas, and I'm your host for this podcast. As a community, we are learning from Jesus the way to pray. One of my favorite quotes that's come out of this series is that for the Christian, prayer is not meant to be the spare tire, but the steering wheel for life. I love it. Today, we're focusing on the power of praying for others. This is one of my favorite messages that I have taught in a long time, and my hope is that it inspires you in your prayer life. Before we get to the sermon, I want to share with you about our giving project called That We May. We are a generous church with a growing vision. And as we learn in our study on the book of Ezra, when God stirs a vision, there's also a need for the finances to fund the vision. Toward that end, That We May is an initiative to help us take meaningful steps toward funding our facility move. Uh, That We May be a family brought together by Jesus' love and his faithfulness to us, where we are moved again and again and again to awe and wonder and His goodness on display in our lives and lifted high to our city. That we may have a space to invest with passion and excellence into the next generation. That we may play our part in our generation to pass on the gospel. That we may have a home base from which we can love and serve the poor, the at-risk, and the refugee with the compassion and the power of the gospel. That we may be a house of prayer for all nations right here in Dallas, that we may make disciples who step into the call of God on their lives to carry the gospel to the four corners of the world, whether that's the Park Cities, Plano, or Pakistan, that we'd be a house that trains and sends disciples, that we may see marriages and families restored, college students touched, and young professionals mentored for their joy, our city's good, and the glory of God. So what's the need? We need to raise $150,000 to facilitate this move. This will go toward adequately equipping our new space as we seek to move in this fall. So how can you be a part? I'm asking that you would pray, that you would ask Jesus how he is leading you to give above and beyond your normal financial giving, or maybe to lead you to begin to give to Antioch Dallas for the first time. As we partner together in this giving, we are sowing into a special opportunity to be a part of what Jesus is doing in us, in our city, and in the nations of the earth. We're going to have three giving days, one on October the 30th, one on December the 3rd, and one on January the 8th as a part of this campaign. And I want to unashamedly ask you to pray about how God would have you be a part. Uh, next, I want to share with you a few announcements on from our communications team, and then we're going to jump into the message on the power of praying for others. Hey, Antioch Community Church. My name is Becca Briscoe, and I'm on the communications team. I want to let you know about a few of the opportunities that we have going on that we would love for you to be a part of. First, this month we're highlighting our mission, Hope for Dallas. Last week we heard about Austin Street Center, and this week we want to highlight Catholic Charities, who are doing amazing things to reach refugee families here in the Dallas community. Here's a video showing you a little bit more about Catholic Charities. It's a privilege in the sense that I've had the opportunity 
uh, to be part of an organization that's dedicated to helping others. I think it's a privilege to be part of the people that help support that mission and uh, also to have a lot of fun with it and a smile and to enjoy what we do because at the end, you can't take any of this with you. You can only make it better. on how you can get involved with Catholic Charities, just email us at hello at antiochdallas.org. As a church, we're committed to loving our city. Join us on our next community outreach on Saturday, November 5th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. These monthly community outreaches are a great opportunity for you to grow in evangelism and be able to do ministry together as a family. Lastly, we have our Welcome to the Family dinner tonight from 5.30 to 7 p.m. That's here at the church, and it's a great opportunity for you to get to meet some of the staff, meet new people, eat great food, and hear our mission and vision behind what we do. You can sign up for this online at AntiochDallas.org. All right, you guys, that's a wrap. Know that we are thanking God for you and praying for you this week. One of the things that Jesus' disciples asked of him was for him to teach them how to pray. Though we are 2,000 years later, that's still the question that we need to be asking Jesus is teach us how to pray. And I want you to think for a moment, who are the influences or what are the, the circumstances or the events where you learned how to pray? Think about it for a moment. Growing up, I, I realized one of my influences in prayer was my family. We would pray before dinner. It was a prayer of Thanksgiving, and they were, my parents were pretty faithful to do that. And so that was one of my early introductions to prayer. A second introduction I had to prayer was as a child, my first love was baseball. Any baseball fans? Just a few? Cubs or Indians? What are you, what are you thinking? Two surprises, right? Well, I loved baseball. My teams I liked were the Oakland A's and the Texas Rangers. And I wasn't any good at baseball, but I would watch them and I would try and get tips from these professional uh, guys. And one of the things that I saw them do from time to time, certain individuals, when they got up to bat, they would make some sort of cross reference on their chest like they were praying. Now, when I got up to bat, it was definitely a prayer for me to get a hit. So I would imitate these guys, right? But I didn't really know what I was doing or if anyone asked me, what are you doing? I don't know that I could have articulated. So instead of doing more like a cross, it was more just kind of like a, you know, a chest maneuver that you're hoping no one really asks you about. But that was kind of more like the, the lucky charm prayer. God, please help me, you know, to hit the ball. A third place that influenced my thinking on prayer was the TV show, The Simpsons, right? Many of us learned to pray from pop culture. And so I would see kind of references to prayer in there, and that shaped my thoughts or ideas 
on how to pray. So the way that that played out in my life was my house as a child was broken, broken into many times growing up. And so I remember that I would go to bed and I was very intent. I wasn't sure who I was praying to. Was it someone out there, someone in here? I didn't really know, but I was asking for protection over my house. As I prayed, I would visualize kind of like a force field going around my house. That was one of the ways that I was like trying to pray. A second one in junior high, my friends and I, we watched a horror movie that was truly terrifying. And I remember being so frightened afterwards. I was like, God, I, you know, I don't really know you, but I will never watch something like that as long as I live. If you'll just help me not to be so afraid now, right? So I was just stumbling about in prayer. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe that's where you were. So as I learned to follow Jesus, as I learned who he was, and I saw the vibrancy and the richness and the fruit from his prayer life, I I had the same question these disciples did. Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? And that's what we're going after as a community, as a group of Jesus followers, is learning wherever you are to let Jesus in this season teach you more his way, the way of Jesus in prayer. In the opening week of the series, Pastor Joe taught us from the words of Jesus a remarkable truth that when we come to pray, in the way of Jesus, following his teaching, that we don't come to an abstract force that's out there when we pray. We don't come to some sort of power within us when we pray, but we come to God who is our heavenly father, that he's not removed, absent, aloof, but that he is warm and present and engaged, and wise, and generous. And so Jesus teaches us in prayer that we're coming to our Father, that it is highly relational, it is highly personal, it's highly meaningful, that that is who we are coming to in prayer. Such an important lesson. Last week, Pastor Jeremy showed us that when we pray in the way of Jesus, it's not monologue, just kind of talking out there, but that it is dialogue that God wants us to speak to him, and he wants to communicate, to speak with us in the place of prayer. So when we're following Jesus's lead, we're realizing that prayer is dialogue between our heavenly Father and us. That's really powerful. Those two truths alone, when put into practice, will transform your prayer life. You'll experience more of the presence of God, more of the power of God, more of just the the fruitfulness of a vibrant prayer life following those two teachings alone. Today, I want to share with you another lesson from Jesus on prayer. We're going to be in John chapter 17, uh, and this is called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. As you're turning in your Bibles, I want to remind you that next Sunday is a really big Sunday in our house, in our church family. We're in the middle of a financial campaign called That We May. We are moving facilities from this building that is going to be torn down in the new year to a new facility a couple miles away. We've talked about this. We're really excited about what the new facility 
has to offer. It's going to be a bit larger, so it's going to allow us to, to reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus, to gather as a family, to celebrate him. It's going to allow us to invest in our children in a more focused way, and even the children of the neighborhood that we're moving into. It's going to allow us to reach in and minister to the community that we're moving into. We're really excited about it. And so we are believing, as a community, we're believing the Lord to provide $150,000 to fund this move from within our house, from you, from me, giving to the work of the Lord, that we may be a part of what God is doing here in our city. So our first of three special giving days is next Sunday, October the 30th, be our first day to give above and beyond our tithe and offering to give into this very strategic time in the history of our church. And I want to remind you and ask you to be in prayer with us about how God would call you out of the generosity with which he has blessed you. We've all been recipients of the cosmic generosity of God what he would call you to sow into what he's doing in our city. That we may, October the 30th, our first giving day. With that, let's turn John chapter 17, verse 20. We're going to read from verse 20 to verse 26. Now, as we read this, let me set the context for what's going on here. We are about to read one of the prayers of Jesus. We're about to read him, about him praying to the Father. Great place to learn about prayer is reading, seeing the way in which Jesus prayed. So lately, if you've been following the news, there's all these uh, leaks of different types of secret communication, whether it's WikiLeaks or other type of leaks, leaking private information. And when you read it, it causes fear, concern, alarm, mistrust, etc., in our hearts toward our leaders. This that we're reading about Jesus is the original WikiLeaks. We get into his private communication with God the Father, and instead of bringing up fear, mistrust, accusation, what we see is his majesty, his goodness, his love, his purity, his generosity, and it moves our heart instead of away in mistrust, it moves our heart to trust him more to be amazed by him more, to be blown away by who he is, I would encourage you to meditate, to marinate, to saturate yourself in this prayer. It's amazing. John chapter 17, verse 20, learning from Jesus how to pray. And this is what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who would believe in me through their word. Now, what, what's going on here? Jesus is going to the cross. He's praying to God the Father, and he's praying, he says, these here, these only. He's talking about his disciples, Peter, James, John, the crew. He said, I'm not asking for them only, but I am asking for them, but not them only. I'm also asking for those who would believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's you and me followers of Jesus, thousands of years later, here's Jesus. He's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us. Here he is going to the cross and you are on his mind. He's praying for you. And this is what he says, verse 21, that they may all be one 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So here he says, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying for my disciples. I'm praying for those that would believe in me through their word. I'm asking that you would unify them. I'm asking that their relationship would be so significant, so deep, that they'd be so for one another in friendship and service and love that they would have unity amongst themselves. And that unity amongst them would reflect the unity that's in the Trinity, the love that we have for one another. Father, that you have for me and I have for you and we have for the Spirit, that that would be in them, that there would be a unity about them, that they would be unified with us, we'd be in deep relationship with him so that the world may believe that you sent me. So he's praying for his disciples in the immediate context. He's praying for us, but he's also praying for the world in mind. He's saying, God, unify these disciples in love that the world would come to know you, to know that you have sent me. The glory, verse 22, that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So you see, unity is a big thing on Jesus' heart. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you loved me. It's a powerful verse. Father, I desire, this is Jesus, God the Son, talking about what he desires. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that they may be with me where I am. Jesus articulating, Father, what I want is for my people to be with me. Jesus wants to relate with you, wants to know you, wants to walk with you, wants you to be with him. Blow away prayer. And not only to be with me, but to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So he's praying and he's just see his heart. We see it poured out here. And it's amazing. And we could talk about this passage of scripture for years. But what I want us to focus on is three simple but profound ideas. Number one, the focus of his prayer. Number two, the agenda of his prayer. And number three, the invitation that we have in this prayer. So let's talk about his focus. One of the things that I want you to notice here is Jesus is not just keeping his prayers just for him. Now, praying for yourself, praying for your relationship with God, the needs of your life is a very important and vibrant, meaningful part of prayer. But prayer in the way of Jesus does not stop there it, 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 that's definitely a part of it, but there's this other aspect of not just praying for me and mine, but praying for other people. 
We see Jesus praying for you. We see Jesus praying for the world. We see Jesus praying for his disciples. He's praying for others. Now, this concept stands in line with some rich biblical practice teaching examples that I want to share with you to help us all understand this more, to be moved by this more, to see the significance of this more. The first one is through the role of a priest. Now, in the history of God's people, in the lives of Moses and Abraham and Esther and David, God appointed priests who were to go before the Lord on behalf of the people and were go before the people on behalf of the Lord. And these priests were called to wear a breastplate that had 12 stones on it. You can see it behind me, these 12 stones. Those 12 stones stood for the 12 tribes, 12 groups of people that they represented. It would be similar to someone in the U.S. having a breastplate with a star on it for each of the 50 states, right? That's kind of the idea. And they would wear this over their chest when they came before the Lord to show that they were carrying the needs and the concerns and the cares and the lives of their people over their very heart. That they came before the Lord, not just for themselves, but for the people that God had called them to. This is what a priest did. This is the way that God set it up. We see Jesus standing here as our priest with our names on his heart, stepping into that role. The second image that I want to share with you is that of a watchman. So in these days, in biblical times, cities were built with fortified walls around them that served to secure the city. And they would appoint watchmen to stand on the walls of the city to watch out for friend or foe coming down the road. A watchman. In Isaiah chapter 62, God speaks this idea of praying for others, and he uses the analogy of a watchman and prayer. And I want to share it with you, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, God speaking, he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. What's God saying? That in this city, Jerusalem, that God loves, one of the central cities in the Bible, that God had appointed watchmen on the walls, but these watchmen weren't like normal watchmen. They weren't watching over the city to see friend or foe coming. He says, These watchmen have a mission all the day, and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, meaning you who pray, take no rest and give him, being God, give God no rest until God establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise of the earth. So here we see this idea of like a watchman would watch over a city that God's people were to watch over this city that God deeply loved and they were to pray day and night, to give the Lord no rest, to give themselves no rest until God accomplished his promises, his purposes, his plans for this city and made it a praise of all the earth. So you see Jesus here stepping in as a priest, stepping in as a watchman, bringing his people before the Lord. That's what's going on here. And this is a very rich aspect of prayer that we're called to enter in. I'm so thankful that as a young Christian, God gave me leaders who took this concept, this teaching seriously. 
The first life group that I ever went to, a friend in my class at school invited me, said, hey, why don't you come to my life group? I was a new Christian. I had never really been involved with something like life group before I went, and I was like, this is amazing. And they were worshiping, and they were studying God's Word, but the thing that really got me was something they called ministry time. Now, as a new believer, I had no idea what were we doing when we talked about ministry time. What they meant, I learned, was we're going to pair you up with a couple other people, and you're going to pray for one another about things going on in your life. Once I understood that, I was like, oh, okay, I get this. But what would happen in this ministry time marked me for the rest of my life. What I would see week in and week out, two of our leaders in particular, Lexia and Amy, would bring people, coworkers, uh, friends, people they met, they would invite them to life group, and they would be in the worship, they would study the scripture, and they'd break into ministry time. And what I'd watch would be Lexia and Amy They would pray with the friends that they brought. And week after week, I was amazed at what happened as the fruit of this prayer. I would see these visitors literally sometimes like transformed. Like there would just be this new lightness, this this joy that would come over them. Many put their faith in Christ for the first time. Many had significant breakthroughs in their lives. And for me as a new believer, it gave me the sense of, God is on the move in this place. This is amazing. I didn't want to miss life group because I was so uh, anticipating what's the next remarkable thing that's going to happen through this little group. It was a blow away. And so I got to know, I tried to figure out what's the power source? Like, why is this stuff happening? Why is this fruitfulness happening, this vibrancy happening. As I got to know Amy and Lexia, what I realized was they gave themselves to praying for others in a serious way. Jeremy shared last week that prayer for the Christian is not the spare tire, but it's the steering wheel. And I saw this lived out. I learned that they would gather before the life group an hour to an hour and a half before the group started. And they would plan some, but they would spend most of their time praying for people in the group. And I was like, I've never seen anything like that. And then I learned that it wasn't just on Wednesdays that they would gather to pray, but that they would pray in the mornings throughout the week. They would wake up early, they would read their Bible, they would spend time with the Lord, and they would pray for the people that God had put in their group and the people God had put in their lives. And as I saw this in action... I was like, I get it. This is where this radical fruitfulness comes from, from the secret place of prayer and praying for others. So after several months, they asked me to help lead the group. I was like, are you sure you got the right person? They were like, yes, we believe in you. We want to see you step into this. I was like, okay. So I start leading, and they brought me into that same rhythm. They said, this is what we do. I'm so thankful for godly women in my life leading the way in this, teaching me to pray. And then it became time for me to lead my own group. They said, hey, Jesus wants to reach our whole city. We need more space for more people. We want you and these couple uh, friends, we want you guys to start a group. They're like, "Uh, I don't know what to do, but I had their example of we pray 
and we believe the Lord, and we invite people, and God does remarkable things. So myself, Stephanie, and Liz, we were the original leaders of this new group, and so we just did what we had been trained to do. We would show up at 5.30, and we would start to pray, and you know what happened most of the time? We felt like the Lord was uh, challenging us on our own unbelief that our faith levels weren't big enough for all that God wanted to do, that we needed to lift our eyes up to the God of heavens and take it off of what we thought we could pull off in our own ability and look to the Lord who has all ability and look to his power and his promises. And so we started to do that. And our groups were, I wasn't the greatest leader. You guys probably could have given me 15 different ways I could have been a better leader. But what I saw was even in the midst of my own kind of learning to lead, that God was at work. There was a guy in my group named Patrick who we discovered had an incredible gift of evangelism. There was just something about him that when he talked about Jesus to people, people got it, like it clicked for the first time. It was remarkable. So one day he's going across campus and he sees a guy that for some reason he just thinks, man, I should go talk with him. Right? I don't know if you've ever had just that kind of, I don't know, I think maybe God wants me to talk to this guy. So he goes and he invites this guy named Jigger to Life Group. Jigger was from uh, Indian kind of descent, uh, and, and his family was Hindu, but he, for all functioning purposes, would have called himself an atheist, and he was a student in our school. And when, when Patrick invited him, Jigger was like, well, sure, I'll, I'll go, you know. So I remember him showing up at Life Group and kind of watching what's going on. You could tell it was new for him, but our group was pretty friendly. And so, he, you know, it's just there. It was a good time. Well, that week he leaves Life Group. He goes home and he has a dream. And not just any type of dream, but he has a dream that he come, comes back and tells us that some sort of spiritual being, this is his language, some sort of angel or, or someone from heaven, he describes this being in glowing white coming into his room. If you've read the Bible, it sounds like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration or Jesus in Revelation 1. Come into his room and speak to him. And I was like, what did he say? And Jigger said, he told me that I needed to listen to the people at Life Group that they had something important for me. So he's like, I'm here. What do you guys have to say? And I was like, uh, I have no idea. This is amazing. I'm as startled as you are. So we started teaching him about Jesus, and Jigger placed his trust in Christ, right? And I remember we didn't really know what to do, right? We're stepping out in faith. We're doing the best we know how, but we're new to all this. So we're like, well, seems like prayer is the fuel for this, so maybe we'll just pray for Jigger, right? So I remember our little life group, we got around Jigger, and we're praying for him, and here's this grown college guy, and we're praying, and he starts to cry. And I'm like, I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know. And, and then Jigger says, he loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me. And it was like he was experiencing the love of Jesus, filling him and changing his life. And we were, I mean, our group, we were amazed. We were in awe at seeing God on the move, 
through our little lives and our little group, showing himself, saving Jigger, transforming him. It was amazing. And the fruit, that fruit comes from the secret place of prayer, right? When we pray in private, God shows up in power, and we see that in the way of Jesus. The second thing that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture is not only the focus on praying for others, but there's an agenda to Jesus' prayer, right? When he's praying, he's talking about unity, He's talking about revealing his glory. He's talking about people being in close relationship with God. He's talking about reaching the world. Now, I don't know about you, but apart from Jesus telling me that's what I was, should pray, I would never have thought to pray those things, right? What I prayed for, God, please let me hit this baseball. God, please, you know, help me with this test. God, please take away this fear. Like those, those aren't bad prayers. But what I want you to see is that all prayer is not created equal. That Jesus has a particular agenda in prayer. So when we're coming to learn from him, we're not just learning who to pray to, but we're also learning even the very words or concepts or ideas. We're letting God shape our agenda in prayer. There's a powerful passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 5. So John, who's writing the gospel of John, who's recording this prayer, writes a letter, 1 John chapter 5. He says this about prayer. He says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask according to his will, according to God's will, God hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So John teaches us that when we come to the Father, that it's not just any kind of prayer, just throwing it up there, but that God wants to give us his will. God wants to show us his desires. God wants to give us the agenda for prayer. And as we join in with that agenda, it releases power through our prayers. So the next question then is, okay, if, if my prayers are like just all over the place and Jesus' prayers are very focused on topics that I would never have thought to pray for, how do I learn the will of God to pray? How do I do it? Here is, uh, here's the way. When we let the word of God, the scripture, inform, shape, motivate our prayers, we step into the will of God and we know that we're praying what God desires. Let me give you uh, just a practical example. So, I have an amazing wife, and we have three amazing kids. Whew. They're awesome. But uh, you can ask any parent. Uh, at times, parenting can be one of the more stretching, trying, uh, developing, uh, just challenging relationships that, that I've ever experienced. Now, maybe that's just me, but I have a feeling there's some people in the room that can agree with what I'm saying. It, it can stretch you. And so uh, when the weekend comes... You know, if I'm on my own and I'm praying, I'm praying, God, please let my kids sleep in past 630. God, please let them chill out. Please let them just come to me and say, Dad, we want to watch college football all day today. Right? That's what I would pray. 
And if those were my prayers, when the kids woke up, when the day gets going, I'm, I'm going to be pretty grumpy. I'll be honest, because those things probably are not going to come to pass. For my kids sleeping in, it's making it till 7.05, right? Not quite the, the thing that I had in mind. But when I wake up early, and when I get up before anyone else gets up, and I open up Psalm 127, which I want to read to you, and it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When I take that scripture and I begin to pray that over my kids, powerful things happen. God, thank you that these children that you have given me are not something just to make it through the day, but they are a blessing that you have put in my life. Thank you for my kids. God, I'm reminded that these kids are more than just kids, Lord, but they are arrows in the quiver, that there is a calling on their lives to be shot forth into the purposes of God, that today is not just a day to make it through, just to get by to hope for 8 p.m. when they go down, but today is a day to help sharpen, help help train, help encourage, help shape these arrows that you've put in my life that you've called me to invest in in a significant way. God, give me grace. Give me wisdom. Help me. Fill me with a spirit that I could step into your purposes and your calling on my kids' lives. Now, when I start to pray that, you know what changes? Me. My perspective on the day, my perspective on this situation, all of a sudden my eyes have been opened to the will of God and there's a passion in my, in my steps. I'm not talking about abstract concept. I'm eating my own medicine here, my own cooking. Like I'm practicing what I'm preaching here. This changes you. And it changes my kids because it releases some form of supernatural power into our family. When we go before the Lord in the place of prayer, praying the scriptures over them, it's remarkable. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you have a different situation. Maybe you have roommates. Maybe you have classmates. Maybe you have coworkers. Whatever it may be, when we take the word of God and we take our place as priests and as watchmen contending for the relationships, the territory, the people that God has assigned in our lives, we release spiritual power in us and through us. So if you want to know, well, how do I know the right thing to pray? Get in the word of God and let it shape what you're praying. I would never think to pray that my kids were like arrows to be shot out in the purposes of the Lord, apart from the word of God instructing me. But when I latch onto that and I come before him, look out, I begin to experience the power and the vibrancy of prayer. The third thing that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture is that there's a focus, there's an agenda, and there's an invitation. And it's easy to miss this invitation, but I know a few people that don't enjoy being invited into things. John 17, 26, Jesus says, I made known to them, my disciples, I made known to them your name, the name of God, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
What's he saying? He's talking about the name of God. Now, if you are new to the Bible, you might not know that's a pretty significant concept. If you've read the Bible through, you'll see over and over, the Bible talks about God revealing his name to his people. And when God reveals his name to his people, what it essentially means is that he's showing up and he's showing off. Now, you may not like it when people in your life show off. We're kind of like, oh, I don't really know. That's not very attractive. But God is all glorious, all powerful, all majestic. So when he shows up and shows off, we're like, man, that is awesome. You are amazing. In the Old Testament, God reveals his name to a man named Moses. He passes by and he says, I'm the Lord, gracious and compassionate. And Moses is so moved by the revelation of the name of God, the Bible says his face is like glowing and he goes down with fresh courage to lead the people of God, right? Jesus is saying here, in the same way that you revealed your name to Moses, I've revealed your name to my disciples. I've shown up and shown off how awesome God is. And I'm going to continue to do that. Jesus desires to show up and show off in your life over and over and over and over again. And I don't know of any greater invitation that any of us can have. Trust me, our souls are starved for the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, I want to reveal that to you in fresh ways. And the way in which we respond to that invitation is by stepping into the place of prayer. As we step into the place of prayer, you are going to see God show up over and over and over again, and you're going to get a front row seat to the glory of God on display in your life and through your life. That one story that I told about Jigger, it's a blow away. Even today, 15 years later, I'm still in awe of the God who pursues people like that. I got to see the name of God demonstrated, shown right in front of me. And it came out of the invitation to step into prayer. Now, I want to invite you to stand as we close. And I just want to say, as a community, we want to be a people, like Jeremy said, where prayer is not the spare tire, but it's the steering wheel. We want to be a community that our lives and our relationships, and if you want to know where we're going, we want to respond to the teaching and the example of Jesus in this. And we believe that as we do this, there's going to be power that's worked in our midst, radical fruitfulness, that we just say, God, you are amazing, right? And I just believe that as we're talking today, there are certain ones and twos, and maybe it's five, I don't know, but, but I know that there are ones in here that as I talk about this, you're like, man, I know that God's calling me to, to be an intercessor like that. To, to help lead the way in this, to help shape our community in this. And I just want to say we affirm you and we want to encourage you and there's space for you to help all of us grow in being a people uh, of prayer. And so as we close, we're going to do like we normally do. We're going to have ministry time, which if you're new, simply means we're going to pray for people. Uh, and if you're sick or you're injured, we'll have leaders on my left, your right, available to pray. We believe Jesus heals and we want to pray for you. And here in the middle and on my right, your left, if you're like, man, I know the Lord is stirring something in the area of prayer. I just want to invite you to come forward that we want to agree with you.
that we would be a people that step into what God has for us in the area of prayer. I'm going to pray and then we'll respond. If I can get some leaders to come forward. Jesus, thank you that you're awesome. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're gracious and generous. And when we find out the inside story on you, it doesn't lead our heart to mistrust or accusation, but it draws out the trust and the admiration of our heart sword. Thank you for showing us your heart in prayer. And I'm asking as a community that we would step in as priests and as watchmen, Lord, that we would respond to your leading and your calling to be a people for whom prayer is the steering wheel and not the spare tire. Help us, Lord. Help us to grow in this. Raise up watchmen in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name.